This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is your homegrown sports book where local takes on an entirely different meaning, focusing on the teams, games, and players that matter to you. Sports Interaction is on the ground, on top of all the local trends, and offering prop bets that you'd never even imagine existed, from same-game parlays to a best-in-class casino featuring thousands of games and live 24-7 dealers. And now introducing The Locker Room, the first of its kind in Canada, a live watch party for the biggest games of the week. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Go to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN to open an account. Bet local. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. And if you have questions or concerns about gambling or the gambling of someone close to you, please go to connexontario.ca. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Big Money Siege, a packed show for us today. Uh, Craig Berube, we got to talk about him uh, no longer being the head coach of the St. Louis Blues. Some news out in Minnesota with the Wild and AGM Chris O'Hearn. Uh, a weird story out in the American Hockey League with a suspended coach over a homophobic slur, allegedly. Uh, the Washington Capitals moving to Northern Virginia and Roberto Luongo being named to the Canucks Ring of Honor. But this is the first time we get to do our show post one of the more delicious moments we've seen throughout this NHL season. And I get I'm, I'm characterizing it in this way, and it might upset a fan base. Uh, but seeing John Tavares get point number 999 and 1000 in Long Island against the Islanders, that is one of my favorite moments of the NHL season. And I would love to know your thoughts on all of that. Yeah, I mean, it was exactly how you'd want to script it. I think even down to the Islanders fan standpoint, because they got the last yes. laugh, right? The Islanders yes, went and did. won that game in overtime. They had a chance to even boo him after, you know, the, the Islanders sort of hat tip John Tavares' is, is, you know, big milestone moment. And so as strange as it is, I'm not sure Islanders fans hated the outcome, the way it all went down either. Uh, and it was it was such a cool subplot to that game. I don't know if you had a chance to actually be watching live, Julian, but you know, the Leafs were pushing the, the, the Leafs were pushing and pushing and pushing for the tying goal for several minutes uh, before they got up finally with six seconds left. Tavares had a few good looks himself or was involved in plays where he was clearly going to get an assist if one of his teammates put it in. And then, you know, you, you wondered if it was going to happen. They kept showing his dad. The Leafs were having their dad's trip at the time. So they're, they're panning to the box and you can see Joe Tavares there and you could tell he was, you know, he was feeling the you know, the gravity of it all that, that he knew what was at stake. Obviously he knows the history and what's gone on. He's, he's hearing his son boot every time he goes back and plays a game on long Island. And so uh, that was, it really was a neat moment. And then of course the Leafs as, as teams have often done had permission from the league to empty their entire bench. So on top of everything, uh, Morgan Riley gets the goal Tavares with an assist with six seconds left in a game to send it to overtime. And then the Leafs bench bench empties and the crowd uh, goes negatively nuts. And, you know, I've got to save my two cents here, Julian. I don't know where you land on this. There's so much debate, specifically in the market I live in here in Toronto, but I got no problem with John Tavares being booed. Like, and, and I actually don't have any problem with him being booed in that moment or when the Islanders are recognizing him. Like, to me, it's actually a sign of respect uh, from in, in a roundabout way from that crowd. It just, it just says that you mattered here. 
and that you remembered here. I mean, they're still booing him five and a half years, six years after he left in free agency. I mean, to me, first of all, that kind of passion is what keeps us all employed. But secondly, it, it just says that you mattered and you still matter and you still, you know, it still sits with us. Like, I, I think, you know, it, it's if you are forgotten entirely, that's that's maybe when it's 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 almost more disrespectful. I, I think the fact they still it's become a cause. I, I say keep doing what you're doing, Islanders fans. Not that I'm telling you to boo John Tavares. I like John Tavares. Nice guy. Great guy to deal with over the years. But I'm just saying express what you want to express as long as it's within the lines. And I think booing is well within the lines of fan conduct. I couldn't agree more. In fact, the Islanders fan base has kept this up for so long. If they did anything different than what they did earlier this week, it would have been a disappointment. You can't have that hatred for a guy, a franchise player who decides to go home, and then when he scores his 1,000 point, all of a sudden you're just going to just not hate the guy anymore. Just you know, so you, know how, you know how some fans do it where they'll clap for a guy on the video tribute, but then as soon as he touches the puck right after they boo him? I don't like that stuff. That's a bit fake for me. I love the fact that the Islanders were true to themselves from moment one until the end. And it's cool that they got their moment with the win. I, I love it. I know I, I said what I said at the beginning, but like I'm not mad at this either. And I don't and I get people will say, you know what, they should get over it and all that. No, I, I love it. I think the fact that we're talking about this and a lot of people in the hockey world uh, felt this was a good story. They were hyping it up before, even hyping it up after the fact. Like, we needed something like this in terms of storylines for the NHL season. And I think the Islanders fan base played their role as villain to perfection. Exactly. And the cool part about that game is, you know, we actually touched on it Monday in the lead up to the game. You know, that that hung over everything. I mean, he just needed two points. Obviously, a thousand points is a huge milestone. He's a 98th player in NHL history to achieve it. He's the first from the 2009 draft class that he was picked number one in. I mean, it's 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 a moment I think most players, it, it, it's like truly you really, really, really made it as an NHL player if you get to 1,000 points. And so that hung over that game, right? And he gets, he gets the early goal. And so it sort of sets up for the next, you know, whatever it was, a period and a half from that point on that you know he's just one point away. And then for it to go down kind of as dramatically as it did, um, I have to say, like, I, I do think that, that that's what makes sports worth watching too. that, that, cause you know, anyone watching that game, a, the, the announcers were reminding you of it, but you're just, you're thinking like, is he going to do it? Will it happen? What will happen? Uh, I thought it was perfect. It's funny. I was surprised how many people though are against it. You know, I, I did a TSN radio hit, uh, on Tuesday morning with Carlo Koliakovo, a former NHL player. You know, he he clearly didn't like it. I don't want to speak for Carlo. I think he might have tweeted about it. But, you know, he, he didn't like the, the booze. He thought it was lacking a certain class. I mean, to me, I, I think it's awesome. <laughs> I, and I really don't think John Tavares cares. Like, you saw the way his teammates reacted. That's That's something he'll love. You saw the way all the dads reacted. That's something he'll love. Even some of the Islanders players stood up on their bench and acknowledged it with a stick tap uh, when he got to 1,000 games. Stick tap. Mm-hmm. All rights reserved, CJ show. But <laughs> uh, you know, I just yeah. saying that, you know, like like he got the respect from the people he would want that respect from. And I think everything else is kind of just noise. And I love that there was so much noise. And then of course, if you're an Islanders fan, you watch your team, you know, walk it off in overtime, as as Steve Dangle predicted before it even happened, the the as he called it, the leafiest way to for this to all play out. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was one of those those cool games in the regular season, which you know, stand out. There's a lot of games every night. A lot of, a lot of them blend into the ether, but that was a, 
pretty memorable set of circumstances that all conspired together there. Absolutely. Uh, one last question before we get to sports interaction. Now that John Tavares is at that 1,000 point threshold, what do you make of his Hall of Fame candidacy when it's all said and done for his career? He very much has a strong case already. Uh, and that might come as sort of a surprise to some people, but look at it. I mean, he's a couple times been a finalist for the Hart Trophy. Uh, to, to play a thousand games, have a thousand points. You know, he's up over 400 goals, you know, with, I think, a real chance to get to 500. I mean, those are the kind of thresholds that that get you in the door. And then you add to the fact that he's been Mr. Team Canada, especially back in the World Junior days, but also in going to the World Hockey Championship. You know, he's got a pretty good international resume at this point in time. And, you know, I think the thing that stands out to me is he's still got a number of potential years to add to all these totals and to all these things. And, you know, sometimes Hall of Fame might be a little bit narrative driven, too. It's not just the, the straight up numbers. I mean, he's got a chance to still be the first Leafs captain to lift the Stanley Cup since 1967. That's not a prediction or a prophecy, but he's in the position to do something special still. Right. And, you know, for all the noise that's accompanied this Leafs season, they actually find themselves in a pretty good spot, given the injuries that they've endured. And I think that they're starting to, to feel as a team that they're playing kind of the way they need to. And we know that, that Brad Living still got some work to do on the roster. And, and look at this is why we watch the next six months of what's going to happen all around the league is, is who knows what's going to happen. But I, I think that, you know, even if that last thing doesn't ever come to, to fruition, I, I really think John Tavares is, if I'm betting now, I'm going to say he's likely going to end up a hall of famer. I'm not saying if he doesn't play another game from this point on he's in, cause he's probably pretty close to the threshold, but maybe not quite over it. But I, I do think, you know, just given his age, is he 33? Um, you know, he's, he's got time here. I mean, He's, he's obviously not Sidney Crosby, but I just watched Sidney Crosby have, you know, a 3.9 in Montreal at age 36, 37. I mean, there's every world where Tavares is still a productive NHLer for another three, four, five, six. I mean, who knows? Joe Pavelski is still ripping it up in Dallas at age 39. And so now Joe is, to be fair, the outlier, not the rule. Uh, but I think Tavares, there might be actually something instructive about the way he plays that's a bit like Pavelski. He's never been known for his skating. Like even at his top, even when he was drafted first overall, there's always questions about his skating. And so, you know, naturally as a player ages, he's going to slow down a little bit. He's not going to have the same burst. Um, but I, I just think that Tavares works so hard and what he does well is win board battles, play in tight space. Obviously he has great hands around the net. We've seen him so score many, score so many goals right in around the paint, you know, with tips uh, like the one he actually had in that, that game in Long Island. And and so I I really think that his game is going to age well in terms of being a productive player. And it's funny for all the fretting too. We're not even you didn't even ask me this, but there's all of this the focus on his contract naturally, right? He makes eleven million dollars against the salary cap. As it turned out, not the least fault at the time, and certainly something he or his agents couldn't have predicted. The cap essentially never went up during the period. You know, it's going to go up next season finally, but it was basically eleven million in a flat cap environment. But he's six years into that seven-year deal, and he scored at basically a point a game, just a, like a hair, a couple points below uh, during his entire tenure in Toronto. And his next deal, I'm certain, will be far more in line. Perhaps, who knows, maybe even take some kind of discount if he wants to stay with the Leafs, stay in his hometown. And so I think once he gets on a, a lower contract and people see it for longer, there might be a little more appreciation for 
for Tavares. Cause I, I think a lot of how he's been viewed the last number of years is through the prism of the contract, probably a little bit through the prism of the fact that he's been a leader on a team that hasn't got the job done in the playoffs and all those sorts of things. Um, but it's funny. I had this thought in Sweden when I was in Stockholm watching the games there and, and we got to sit lower, closer to the ice. And, and just one of those games I noticed, like, I'm like, wow, he does like, he's still really effective when you watch him play behind the net and along the boards and he doesn't get a whole lot of love, but, but he certainly got some love and some hate uh, by hitting that 1000 point threshold. And, and I think ultimately, honestly, he's going to be a hall of famer. I, I see him you know, like Stamkos to me is already in. If he, yeah. if he does, if he, you know, and Stamkos hopefully has a long career too, but if he's, if he's done at this point, I think just based on the numbers, based on the team success he's been part of, um, you know, I think he's in and, and I think Tavares ultimately will join him there, you know, hopefully sometime in the long dark future, because hopefully they both those guys still have a lot of games left to play. Very well said CJ. Let's get to sports interaction and the rest of the CJ show on the other side. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. If you go on the website now, you will find uh, this fun prop, uh, Stanley Cup first-time champion. If you think uh, the winner will be either Columbus, Vancouver, Arizona, Winnipeg, Seattle, Florida, Nashville, Buffalo, Ottawa, San Jose, or Minnesota, all the teams who have never won a Stanley Cup, uh, your odds uh, at plus 450 right now on the Sports Interaction website. If you're picking the field, you're at minus 750. What say you? I don't hate it. I got to say, remember last fall or spring, rather, we had a first-time champion in Vegas, and they beat a team that would have been a first-time champion had they won in Florida. I think the Panthers are still a good team. Hard to ignore what Vancouver is doing this year and and just sort of seeing the field in the West. I mean, I, I'm certainly not saying they're the Stanley Cup favorites, but the fact you get a couple of those teams, um, you know, and, and we've seen surprises before. I mean, th- there's a reason that that it's stacked the way it is. It's probably more likely that it's it's one of the established powers that that has won in the past that that's that's to win it. But I, I kind of like the idea that you get to pick from a grouping of teams. And at least to me, it looks like a few of those teams. I mean, we certainly at this stage of the season can't rule them out as potential cup winners, right? I don't know. I'm not sure if we could do that. One team I'm looking at in that cluster that if it wasn't for that Kyle Connor injury, the Winnipeg Jets. Like, I mean, they, they're, I think they still look like a playoff team, but man, I might feel a little bit more confident uh, if Kyle Connor was still playing. Yeah. And, and look, they got a goaltender, right? Hellbuck's had a great year and, and consistently been up there. I think I, they, they seem to have something special going on in Winnipeg. We haven't touched on them as much as I'd like in the show probably this season, but there, there's kind of kind of an energy there. And, and, you know, the, the Rick bonus had to step aside after his wife ran into some health issues, but he's come back. They won a, a lot of games while he was out and Scott O'Neill was in charge. He's come back and it just seems like they, they have it. I mean, the, 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 there's no good way to spin a Connor injury. Of course, six to eight weeks is the timeline you're looking at, but the good news is, is he'll be back in eight weeks uh, at most, I would think. And, you know, that's still plenty of runway for him to get back up to speed leading into the playoffs. So I think there's a few teams that could get the job done among that cluster. There's a couple we can rule out already, but you know, first time champions, pretty cool. And, and I, I, I I don't hate this play to be honest. No, I don't hate it either. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash STPN for all the best odds before game in game and the best props sportsinteraction.com slash STPN. This episode of the Chris Johnston show is brought to you by Shopify. If you could trade a bench warmer for the goat, you'd do it, right? 
Get your business a game-changing pickup by choosing the commerce platform with the internet's best converting checkout. That's Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed sneakers for using the in-person POS system or offering official outfielders outfits on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you're covered. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. Shopify also powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify being a truly global force powers Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash johnston, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash johnston to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash johnston. CJ, let's talk about the St. Louis Blues. Craig Berube out as head coach, Drew Bannister taking over as his replacement in the interim, called up from the American Hockey League. Uh, Brad Richards also joining as a power play consultant. Your thoughts on on what's going on in St. Louis? It seems like they're a bit of a difficult team to follow. It seems like on one end they should be retooling, but they're also trying to be competitive. They're they're not in a playoff spot, I believe, and they've kind of underwhelmed to start off the year. And Craig Berube takes the fall. What do you make of this situation? Yeah, I mean it's a tough one. I think that the the game plan in St. Louis, the way they approached this year, was a transition season. You know, they're they're coming from a team that the core of it won a Stanley Cup together. Obviously, a number of those players have moved on, but they're trying to to bridge the gap uh, in the meantime to the time when Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo, some of the younger talents in the organization are taking leadership of the dressing room and are the best players on the ice. And they're trying to do it without falling to the bottom of the standings. I actually commend the approach. Uh, it's a difficult thing to do, though, right? And And that's where we find ourselves now. I mean, the Blues did excellent work last year at the trade deadline. Uh, because they didn't fall to the bottom of the league, but they had a lot of good pieces to sell. They added some first-round picks and some other pieces as part of the deals they made involving Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Nolachari, and a few others. And, you know, I think that they're kind of in a similar spot again now. But, you know, where Doug Armstrong, their general manager, got to is he just felt like the team, even as flawed as the roster may be, and, and if you heard his press conference, he, he took pretty good ownership to Doug Armstrong and, and with the St. Louis reporters, just about his role in this and, and, you know, recognizing that, that, you know, coach is taking a fall, but, but, you know, all is not perfect. The, the, the conditions for the coach weren't everything the GM would want, but, you know, he felt like they weren't playing even to the potential of the group they have now. And, and you know, I think specifically being a, a hard team to get play against checking hard uh, some of the defensive lapses, you know, it got to a point where they just felt a new voice was needed. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Craig Berube because I do think he's, he's kind of a bit of a, a fall guy in this situation, but I mean, he's been around too. This is, this is kind of what happens. You got, you got a five-year run with a team. Um, that, 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 that actually tells you what the job is. You want a Stanley cup and you still got a five-year run and someone like me is out here saying that's, that's a pretty good, good go. So basically, if you don't win a Stanley Cup, you're looking at five. You're looking at three years, probably in most situations. 
And, you know, by no means do I think Craig Brube is the problem, but, you know, they do have to chart a new way forward. I think you're going to see likely some players traded out of there. As this deadline gets closer, you're going to see more moves from the front office. And and now we get to see is Drew Bannister, the guy that, that coaches this team. I mean, I don't get the sense St. Louis is in any rush to, to make a hire, but he is only under contract through the end of the season uh, is Bannister. And so, you know, at some point, you know, I think the good news for him is, you know, you're coaching the games starting right now. So you get a chance to, to mold the team. You get a chance to show what you can do uh, with hands-on experience. Maybe you get a little bit of a bounce back and the attention of the group for a team that was sliding in the wrong direction. Um, you know, the downside of course, is you have not a lot of security stepping into that role. And there's every chance that uh, we're talking about a larger coaching search at some point down the road. I'm always curious about how players feel about coaches in situations like this. One quote that's starting to go around uh, Jeremy Rutherford, who does a great job covering the blues for the athletic uh, spoke to Jordan Cairo, or at least may have been part of a scrum. There's a quote that from his Twitter uh, Cairo on relationship with Craig Berube. I've got no comment. He's not my coach anymore. At least on the surface, that Ooh, seems a bit a of a salty. Fro- that's a bit frosty to me. What do you think of that? Well, it's definitely frosty. I mean, look, there's, there's, it's pretty clear what to be read into that. It, it was not a relationship, I guess, that the Jordan appreciated. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll be honest, straight up. I, I don't know all the details of what that was. I mean, obviously, Craig Berube is a very demanding coach. Jordan Cairo is still a young player in the league. That being said, a player, you know, being paid at a pretty high level and not performing up to the level of his contract as we're recording this right now. So so he's probably a little frustrated with his play. And I can only imagine the coach was, was you know, trying to push him to do things differently or, um, you know, perform better. And so the good news for Jordan, he's got a new coach now. But from what I've heard of Drew Bannister, I don't think that he's uh, – I think that that he's known to, to be pretty firm uh, in terms of his dealings with players. And so – it's not necessarily getting any easier for, for those in St. Louis. It's, it's a message coming from a new person. It's, it's a, look, it's a new person who's looking at the rosters, looking at the lineup, who's looking at deployment, specialty teams, everything, you know, it's a fresh set of eyes there. Um, but at the end of the day, look, Jordan Cairo, he's getting paid what $8 million a year now. I mean, I think he's got five goals. There's a lot of pressure that comes with those things. And so let's hope a, a fresh start is, is good for him. Absolutely. Uh, let's stick in the central division. The Minnesota Wild uh, have parted ways. Uh, it was a mutual parting of the ways with their assistant general manager, Chris O'Hearn, considered to be the right-hand man of general manager Bill Guerin. Why did this move happen? Well, I'll tell you this. This is one of those news items that I'm guessing most fans just you know flick past and don't think again twice. This one blew up my phone when it came out on, on Wednesday because – you know, the, the timing of this is highly unusual. I mean, teams move on from personnel all the time. But when you're a team that is in a as tight a cap situation as Minnesota is right now, to part ways mutually with your cap guru, with your with your CBA expert in December, December 13th, is, is very unusual. My understanding as well is that Chris O'Hearn recently did a contract extension with the Wild, and so you know, there's more than meets the eye here. And and look, there's a lot of secrecy around this. I've spent the last 24 hours or so trying to pick through the intel I can find. And, and th- what I can tell you is this, that there, there have been at least one, if not two investigations into the conduct of the wild front office this season. It's something the NHL didn't lead, um, but, but they've been apprised of. And 
ultimately now we have O'Hearn and, and the Wild mutually parting ways. But there's definitely a sense that there could be another shoe to drop here and that there might be more fallout from this. And, and you know, at this point in time, I don't want to guess exactly what that would be or why that is. I mean, clearly, if there's an investigation, there's allegations. And, and if they're proven correct against an individual or multiple individuals, then, then I think we'll, we'll start to see more of the picture here. But, um, you know, what what we can say is, look, the Minnesota Wild made a coaching change shortly after U.S. Thanksgiving. They've had a great response on the ice after a really disappointing start to the year, but now their front office is in a serious state of flux in, in the middle of the season. In part, again, because they are dancing, they are doing the, what's, what's that called again? The, the limbo. They're limboing under the salary cap season. Uh, I haven't ceiling. thought about the limbo in a while, but the, that's a but pretty good analogy. On a daily basis, they are like craning their back back as far as it goes just to stay under the ceiling. Um you know, aided a little bit because they were able to put Jonas Brodine on long-term injured reserve uh, here in recent days after he was injured, uh, which obviously isn't a good injury. You know, they're, they're top minute munching defensemen, but yeah. Um, you know, I just, you just wonder where this goes next. And, and the fact this is all playing out in the middle of the year is very complicated. I think it's, you know, complicated maybe to hire even another AGM. And so this is one of those stories, as I say, it, it won't be a big headline, but it's generating a ton of buzz behind the scenes around the NHL. Everyone wondering, what exactly happened, what it could mean for Bill Guerin's future as a president GM of the team. You know, there's other you know members of that front office that presumably could be implicated in, in something that's gone on. And so, you know, we, we want to play it uh, as safe as we can around here. So I'll just, I'll kind of leave it at that. But I, I suspect this is not the last we've heard of this story with the wild that that's still very much developing. Okay. We'll keep tabs on that. Uh, the next one I want to get to is an AHL story. Uh, the Chicago Wolves head coach, uh, Bob Nardella, suspended 10 games by the league uh, for using, uh, allegedly, uh, a homophobic slur with a referee. Uh, Nardella has since released a statement denying that he said uh, the homophobic the homophobic remark. What do you make of, of that situation? That seems like it's a little bit it's – a, it's a very weird situation, to put it bluntly. What do you think of it? Well, it's a tough one to have an opinion on, right? I mean, because if, if one person or some people think they heard it and he says he didn't say it, and apparently there are players out there who corroborate that he didn't say it, um, you know, it's a little murky. You know, when you add to what's gone on too, I mean, the Chicago Wolves, as I'm sure you know, Julian, they're, they're playing this year in the American Hockey League without an NHL affiliation. So they're a little bit of, what's the word best? Like they're a bit of a rogue team. I don't know if they're in the league's good books. Um, you know, Nardella did mention too, in his statement there, Julian, that, that he had lost his temper and, and acknowledged that, you know, he vehemently denied, I mean, he unequivocally says he didn't use any homophobic language or slurs, but he does, he does acknowledge he lost his temper and that he's basically just going to accept his punishment and move on. Um, strange one, but I mean, look, I, I think that it's a reminder to me. I mean, there, there's a situation in the Ontario hockey league where coaches, been suspended now, uh, Greg Walters for a year for his conduct. Um, you know, clearly Bob Nardella's been, uh, you know, hit with a 10 game suspension in the HL. We're talking about an investigation going on into an NHL front office in Minnesota. I mean, um, you know, I think it's a time where everyone really has to look at themselves and look pro sports. I'm not making any excuses. Let's just call it as it is. Like it's not a normal work environment. And people that grow up and are in the sport their entire life maybe don't act at work the way those of us who've been in office environments would because they 
they're not accustomed to it. And I think in some ways, some of this stuff all collides in the middle. Um, and, and it creates, you know, the world we're in now where, where you have to be more accountable for your actions. And, um, you know, I don't know what Bob Nardella did or didn't say. I know what the league alleges he said, and I know what he alleges he didn't say. And so we're, we're kind of caught there when we look at that situation. Do we know that last part? Cause that's the one question I have. I, I, I see the statement that he says he loses his temper and he says he didn't say it. Then what did he say? That's the biggest question I have. I don't, I mean, I don't know what he said. It's, it's pretty clear if he lost his temper that I think it's fair for us to read into that. He was swearing at the ref that he might've been, who knows, maybe somewhat threatening in the way, like it's hard. I don't want to guess, but no, we you shouldn't know, guess. But to be fair, though, what's interesting is the the American Hockey League put out while announcing his 10-game suspension that it was due to using homophobic language uh, when speaking with the official. And he unequivocally denies that he used any homophobic language. So that that's and that's that's where my confusion with this is, because I, I don't know. I feel like if you're in a situation like that and you know you didn't you you didn't say it, I I mean, I'd say what I said. And I, I can't imagine it was polite what he said. But I'm very curious what was actually said. I don't know if I'll ever know, but that's the very first thing I thought of when I saw that statement. What I suspect we'll said? never know because the AHL process requires someone to appeal within 48 hours. That 48 hour window's closed. In this case, the coach isn't appealing. You know, I think there's a cost to appealing. Like, there's all kinds of reasons why you might not appeal. It might be a hard thing to prove. Um, yeah, it's an unusual situation, clearly, and. You know, I I don't know what else to draw from it other than you. Everyone better be careful. And and I know it's, look at it, it's an adult environment. There's lots of curse words uh, thrown around in these situations. But you know, I think everyone's responsible for their behavior. And and I think a lot of coaches and and people front facing in sports are thinking about this stuff because you you can't ignore. Look at the headlines. You just re- like we we just went through ten minutes. It's just like every headline is, you know, someone you know, being held accountable for their actions, even if we don't have full window into what all those actions are. As they should. We're in a world now where you can't get away with some of that old stuff you could get away with anymore. And it's for the better, to be quite honest with you. Of course. Um, It's just hard for us to adjudicate from here when, you know, I don't even know if that game, like, I don't know if there's microphones near the bench. Like, I don't know if there's any way that that we'll know. It's just, you know, one person's word against another's. 100%. Uh, let's move on uh, to a few other news and notes. I feel like you're right. The last few news and notes we've gone through are a little bit more serious. We're starting to get to a little bit more of a, well, this next story is a little bit more in the middle, but I <laughs> promise by the end, we'll get to a little bit more of a positive upswing here. Of the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards, uh, it looks like they're moving to Northern Virginia. Uh, the uh, There was a press conference earlier this week to uh, talk about the team moving to uh, essentially the suburbs of that area. And uh, I believe from from what I've heard from other people that it's supposed to still be on this metro line. By the way, taking public transit in Washington, still great. But I can imagine for a lot of people who love going downtown, who love going to that rink, they're going to miss seeing that team in that part of town. But uh, there's a whole plot of land that uh, the uh, Ted Leonsis and the Washington Capitals, they hope to play in a projected $2 billion sports and entertainment district to be built we'll also have a washington wizards practice facility a separate performing arts center a media studio new hotels convention center housing and shopping areas yeah i i don't know if 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 virginia capitals rings off the same way as washington capitals uh but yeah it's a bit of an interesting story here well i don't think you have to change the name i mean the washington commanders 
play out in Maryland. Um, so I, you know, I actually have never asked. Anybody. I have no idea what they do there. I mean, look, there's nothing is done until it's done. I mean, what they're announcing this week are plans and and projections for what could happen. I think there's still some approvals that would need to be put into place uh, at the government level for this to move forward. And I will say this: I'm not a uh, I'm not an insider on real estate deals in you know District of Columbia in Northern Virginia, but I do. I've at least spoken to one person who has some thought that some of this might be a bit of a play to have more money put into the rink existing uh, in DC that the Capitals and and uh, Wizards play out of. So I, I think that this this is you know it's a sensitive subject though. I mean, if they move the team, you can say it's only four miles, but it's it's a different it's it's changing a little bit of what the team is, right? Um, you know, I think back to all those years ago. When, when the Islanders were looking for a new building and they're out of Nassau Coliseum and it just got untenable, I mean, they moved into Brooklyn, right? And that Barclays Center experience was not positive for a whole host of reasons that the building really wasn't built for hockey. It was a long commute for the players uh, and for the and from where most of their fan base is located. I mean, obviously, they ultimately got an, a nice arena in a more appropriate place for where their fans are. But, you know, even even four miles is not always four miles. So... Um, you know, that, that arena in Washington, it's, it's been a couple years since I've been there, but it, it, it is, I would say of the no frills variety, at least when measured against newer buildings in the NHL, like I can see why they feel that it either needs significant upgrades and renovations or, or to be replaced entirely at some point in the near future. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not totally sold that this is all going to come together as it was unveiled this week until, until it's finalized. I, you know, I just think that they're still in the planning stages and there might be some political maneuvering going on as well. Mm, political maneuvering. Okay. All right. I, of course it would happen in Washington of all places. Anyway. Well, political maneuvering happens in your city too. I mean, the, the flames have been trying to get a new arena built in Calgary for a long time. I know they feel that they're now finally making progress towards that, but this is what I mean. Like how many times have they come out and said, this is going to be the new building and this is what it could look like and what it'll cost. And, you know, and they're still playing out of the saddle dome. So yeah, I I I I don't think you should be pouring any. Look, there's some Calgary fans who listen to this podcast. I don't know if they want any. They're excited about the new arena coming. Don't yeah, yeah. don't scare well, them. Don't scare them, CJ. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm merely saying until there's shovels in the ground and and projects are moving forward. I mean, we spent a lot of time thinking about the potential new Coyotes arena in Tempe that ultimately got voted down, and a lot of effort went into that. Like that was like years of work by the Coyotes and and obviously announcements and. And so ultimately, I, these things are very complicated, especially if government money is involved and there's still some approvals needed before before this is official, 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 and then we can start to digest what it means. Okay, let's get to the Vancouver Canucks. Roberto Luongo to be named to the Canucks Ring of Honor tonight, Thursday night. Bobby Lou, Strombone One on, on Twitter. Do you have any uh, fun stories about Bobby Lou? Do you have any fun memories have you ever been in scrums with him seeing him get this honor in vancouver this is obviously going to be a big deal you'll be celebrated in that market they love him there let's talk about bobby Lou. well i mean it's a great honor I, i'm still wondering if they're actually going to raise his number one to the rafters like i know there's been a lot of discussion about he's not a ring of honor guy he should be a full number retirement guy and and i mean it's hard to argue with that he's without question the greatest goaltender in vancouver canucks history 
Um, you know, he won the Olympic gold medal as a starting goaltender for team Canada in, in the arena at the time it was called hockey Canada place. Uh, the, cause they renamed it during the Olympics, you know, and, and is beloved in the city and had a long run of success there. And let's face it came, he played a game seven with a chance to lift the Stanley cup and, and played his heart out through those playoffs. So, you know, if this ends up being a number retirement, I think it'd be great. Um, but let's, let's see how that goes. Either way, whether it's just the Ring of Honor or they they put number one where it belongs in the rafters, uh, I mean, just a tremendous career. I think of longevity. I think of the early days of his career. You know, he's playing on kind of an undermanned Panthers teams a lot of those years, and he just kept having ridiculous save percentages despite facing, you know, pretty heavy workload, playing a ton of games. Uh, was very durable throughout his NHL career. I don't know where he ended up with his numbers, but he played a long, long time, and I know he played, I think, over a thousand games. Which, Talk Hall of Famer, yeah. like we we like he's he's good. His legacy. Well, super- and he's like an off ice hockey Hall of Famer too, right? Because his dry sense of humor. He was always great in scrums, and always had a good quip. I mean, I the thing that I think about honestly is I think of the day that, and I believe I was on set at this point. I was probably at Sportsnet in those days when we were on high alert for him to be traded on deadline day, and he comes off the ice, and he's not traded. Uh, you know, at the time the Maple Leafs actually were in pretty deep in discussions to try to bring him to Toronto, and he's like my contract sucks <laughs> Yeah, I when asked that. why, why he wasn't traded. I mean, like what an honest guy. I mean, that, that, that summed it up like that. I couldn't even get away with saying that on TV if he didn't use that quote, but that is the truth, right? Is his contract was, was untenable at that point in time for most teams to take on. I mean, it's not a lot, a lot of things haven't changed in the NHL right now. If you're slightly underperforming and you got long-term on your deals, I mean, there's a whole number of players that, that the team just couldn't trade them, even if the player wanted out and the team wanted to trade them. And even if the team wanted them, sometimes you still can't make it work when all those things are in place. And so um, I just think of an honest, funny guy who, you know, played for forever and won basically everything but the Stanley Cup. And he, he got within 60 minutes of the Cup. So, you know, I realize that's not the same thing, but it's pretty damn close. I mean, he he did everything you'd want to do in the sport and, I hope they put his number in the rafters. I'm trying to manifest this. So it worked this week when I was saying like, Hey, let's see John Tavares get two points in, in the game on Monday night. And cause it'd be cool to see how that all plays out. Wouldn't it be cool to see the Canucks pull an about face or a surprise and uh, retire the number instead of just ring of honoring it. I agree. I, I, I agree. That would be a really fun thing to happen uh, on the subject of the Vancouver Canucks uh, earlier this week. When we did ask CJ, we did get a question uh, asking, uh, this is actually from K-Town 2272, uh, what do you think the Canucks would be looking for in return for Andre Kuzmenko? Is there any update on that front? I think the update is that this has picked up a little steam in terms of you know teams at least calling the Canucks and seeing where the fit might be. I mean, ultimately, I'm not sure this is a player that gets moved, but you can't ignore the cap hit and the fact that he's playing on the fourth line at even strength that he was scratched for a couple games earlier this season. I do know Kuzmenko's still getting power play time. So he's still, it's not saying he's, he's totally wasting away there, but the opportunity has been diminished from where it was last season when he had such a great first season in the NHL. And so, you know, I think it merits watching because obviously Vancouver remains a team that's right up against the cap that, that, you know, can't really afford to have inefficient contracts uh, because of, of where they are. And, and obviously they're having such a great year. I mean, they, they, you know, I, I would think that they're going to want to be a bit of a buyer as the as the trade deadline draws closer in March. And so, you know, there could be an opportunity there if, if Kuzmenko doesn't take off, if he just kind of flounders, if, if the fit 
isn't right. If, you know, Rick Tockett's made it clear he doesn't, hasn't appreciate it the way he forechecks or forechecks or doesn't at times. And just, just maybe isn't meshing with this coach the way he did uh, initially last year with the Canucks. And so I wouldn't say anything new other than there's a lot more smoke gathering on the horizon, but I, I don't sense certainly that anything's imminent. I don't think the Canucks feel they certainly the Canucks don't feel they have to move him, but I think you're compelled to listen and, and who knows what, uh, what someone might say to you, especially now the teams are really calling them on them. Okay. And with that, it's time for stick taps. It's our opportunity to show some love to somebody after a long hard fought week who deserves a stick tap from you this week, CJ. How about you go first? Cause I haven't thought of mine yet. Okay, fine. I showed I'm up. Gonna... I dog ate my homework. Oh, I've heard this excuse way too many times. Johnston. I'll tell you, sometimes you do the show and I can't remember if it's Monday or Thursday. That's not a good sign. Like, I don't know how your brain works. Like I just, I, I sometimes I just get lost anyway. I'll I, think I, of one, I, but you go first. I, uh, I'll just give it to Connor Bedard. He had the nicest goal of the week, scored a filthy shot in uh, the inaugural Connor Bowl. I believe Mark Spector used that term this week, the Connor Bowl. Uh, Edmonton versus Chicago, obviously. A lot of people were saying, oh, I can't watch the game. But for those who were able to watch the game, uh, the highlight of that game was Connor Bedard uh, opening the scoring with a filthy shot that is looking like a top three shot in this league. How many guys in this league have a better shot than Connor Bedard? Austin Matthews? Who else? There's probably a few others, but you're right. He's, I mean, come on. This top is five, top three. This I is mean, what we expected many... from him. Yeah, but it was really sick. I'll, I'll, I'll show him oh, some yeah, love for that. That goal was sick. It was I'll sick. say so this. That's my stick tap. Why don't I go with Mark Johnstone then? I don't know if you saw his story, but, but I made did see his, story. his NHL debut here in recent days for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The kind of story that you could be a sports fan and always appreciate, you know, didn't get, didn't didn't get any breaks along the way. Started off way back in the in the East, ECHL, played for Newfoundland. Um, you know, played a little bit in the American Hockey League with the Toronto Marlies, where obviously he and Kyle Dubas got to know one another. And and you know, finally at age twenty seven, makes his NHL debut in Pittsburgh. And and how cool is it that he does it this week while the Penguins' dads are on the road with them in Montreal? And so his dad got to to tag along uh, as part of that trip. So I, I can't think of too much better than. You just finally make the league after that journey. And they're like, oh, and by the way, our father's trips in three days. Like, you better tell your dad to get to Pittsburgh. That that's, That is awesome. That's about as good as it gets. So stick tap to you for your perseverance and uh, hope it's the start of a long NHL career. Who knows what, what the, the future holds. But I think even just to get to that bar, if you know, undrafted um, player that has to battle through years in the minors. I mean, that's that, that's pretty cool. Did you see the twelve round shootout that took place between the Penguins and the Montreal Canadiens this week? I did. I just was waiting for Merrick Malik to end it. Yeah, just really could have used him in that moment. I'm really the more we see these shootouts, the more I'm starting to become in favor of continuous OT on three on three. But I don't know if we'll ever get to that reality. I think we will. Like I don't know. We won't see continuous, but they're going to go to seven minutes or ten minutes at some point. I, I just think. Yeah, I've 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 been down on a shootout for like twelve years, so I, I can't even muster up an emotional response right now, other than just like enough already. But I also get you got to end some games too. Like you can't you can't play into the night in game thirty four of the season. Um, so so you're balancing those two poles. But I love three on three for the most part. I think they're damn compelling, and I I hope more and more games end there rather than in the the skills competition. 
Absolutely. Oh, shout out the skills competition as well being revamped for the NHL All-Star Week. Uh, yeah, just we've had, we, we have a lot that we didn't even get to on today's show because it was packed enough as it is. Uh, but we'll be back next week with uh, more episodes. Uh, get your questions in now for Ask CJ. Subscribe to the podcast, whether on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever. And subscribe to the SDPN YouTube channel. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK and McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.